Uh, well, great to have you all with us today. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Braden. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And we've been making our way through the book of James. Uh, and before we get into our passage, uh, I'm going to continue uh, to berate you with some uh, stories of my travels. Uh, so last week, we started talk- I talked a little bit about a guy called Martin Luther. Now, Martin Luther did a lot of great things uh, for the gospel and for Christianity. Uh, and so he uh, did a lot for so a group of people that had no idea uh, what the Bible said because it wasn't in their own language. And so uh, there were some corrupt people within the church that were taking advantage of, of Christians because they didn't know what the Bible said. Uh, and Martin Luther did amazing things for them. He, he helped them to, to know what the Bible said. So he wrote a Bible in their language and, and read it to them so they could understand it. Uh, he helped people who, who were trapped uh, in certain things, so like trapped in uh, certain Christian circles that they couldn't get out of because they relied on that circle and so gave them freedom and, and taught and trained people to, to know what the Bible said and to know what the gospel was so that they could have a relationship with God and to be free uh, from some of the corrupt people that were acting uh, in the church for their own benefit. And so Martin Luther did some amazing, amazing things uh, for the gospel and for Christianity. And so if you haven't heard of Martin Luther, look him up. He's a great guy. Um, He did some amazing things. But if I show you this picture on the screen, this is something that is on uh, the church where he appreciates. It's kind of carving in the side of the wall um, at the church. We we went and visited the church and this thing uh, is there, kind of just hanging on the top of the church where Martin Luther was. So this is in Martin Luther's time. This is at on the side of the church that he was preaching at, and this is called a Judensau. Uh And what it was, it's a picture of a pig, if you, if you can't make it out, uh, and there's some characters, so some of that underneath the pig, uh, and then there's one that's kind of looking down the rear end of the pig as well. And, and so the point of this uh, is that this was supposed to depict uh, the rabbi looking under, um, at the, the backside of it, and then some Jewish people underneath the pig. And for, for Jews, uh, pigs are unclean and they're not supposed to have any kind of association uh, with, uh, with pigs. So, this, so it's a hugely offensive thing for them to even be touching the pig or be associated with a pig. Uh, but written across the top uh, is kind of this thing that's supposed to represent this is the Jews looking at their Bible. So Martin Luther, uh, uh, who did so many amazing things for the church had this plastered on the side of, his, of the church where he was preaching at, mocking the, the Jewish peoples uh, in his community. And Martin Luther went on to write some things that weren't so great uh, about the Jews. Uh, but despite all the good things that Martin Luther did, uh, when it came to a particular group of people, uh, he, he stood on this platform and looked down on them because of the way that they read the Bible and the way they responded to Jesus. And as he became progressively more frustrated, he he started saying and doing things, as he looked down on this platform towards Jewish people, he started saying more and more uh, things that were discriminatory and and dehumanizing of the Jewish people. Uh, Another picture that we saw, uh, or this one that we took, this is a a picture of a really pretty church that we saw in Lyon. And... This uh, picture, uh, you'll see like on the arch of, of the um, church, there's all these little statues. And so what happened is that this church was as a Catholic church and it had all these nice statues of these wonderful angels. And when you zoom in, uh, I'm not sure if you can see it, but on every single angel, apart from the top ones uh, where the ladder couldn't reach, uh, they've knocked off the heads of every single angel. 
And so this, this church that's littered with these amazing statues, every single head on, the, on this church, the angels have been knocked off. And what happened is, is the Protestant Reformation made its way to Lyon and was in there for a year. Uh, and they saw these angels as these statues that were idols. Uh, and so they said, these, there's idols in the front of our church. We have to destroy them. And so the Protestants went over and knocked the heads off every little statue on the front of this church. And so the Catholics uh, now uh, retain control of the church now, uh, but the front of their church, or what was a beautiful church, has been uh, defaced by knocking the heads off these statues. What I thought was really ironic as we went through Europe is that as we went around Europe, there's all these pedestals of these statues of the reformers. And so these, these guys who kind of went through, got rid of all the statues of Mary, got rid of all the statues of these angels, all these statues of these different icons and things that were, you know, serve these different functions. They knocked them all down and destroyed them all. And then people, a few generations later, built statues of the people that did it. And so they've destroyed these statues and they replaced them with statues of themselves. And there's these pedestals with these people that they look up to that are all around Europe looking up to these great people who did these great things. And the church historically has been really good at creating platforms for ourselves to stand up and look down on people around us and creating pedestals for us to look up people who, are, who we see as great and have gone before us. Uh, there's these, these platforms and pedestals in all areas of life and the church, rightly so, has faced criticism for that because we've done some things that aren't so great. And throughout life, even more broadly than Christianity, uh, we continue to create platforms where we look down on people around us and, and pedestals where we look up to different people uh, in the world around us. Uh, and it causes division and discrimination and inequality in so many different areas. Um, and we're going to be looking at James today. And this is the, the thing that, that James is concerned about. Um, and, and this is the thing that, that we're going to be thinking about. What does it mean uh, to have equality? And, and the, the thing is, is getting rid of platforms and pedestals. Because these platforms and pedestals are where we, we can stand up and look down on people or where we put people on a platform that can look down on people around us. Um, and, and our society today is... Uh, you know, people are very concerned about equality. Like equality is something that we deeply, deeply value and we want to encourage that as a good thing. We, we need to be, you know, eliminating discrimination. We need to be working for, for the poor. We need to be working against injustice in the world. That is a good thing. It is something that is really important and something that we have failed deeply at in the past and, and still today. And there are blind spots where we, we don't see the inequality that we cause and the injustice that we cause. But, but one of the things that's really difficult in our pursuit of equality is that there's always an element that is tainted. Because quite often, when we, when we look for equality and when we pursue equality, we, we start to think about how good of a job we're doing and then we start building a platform for ourselves to say, look at how good I am at equality look at these people, they're not doing equality well, and then we start, we start creating a platform and discriminating against them. Or, or we start to, to think about what kind of good moral things we're doing and, and, and we start thinking about how good of a job we're doing and then we look at these people that aren't doing such a good job and there's always an element where there is something that is tainted about our pursuit of, of searching for equality, searching to, to get rid of discrimination, and we find these blind spots and we end up doing unspeakable things to certain people that 
is horrible. And the thing that, that James is concerned about and the thing that James parades as the thing that, that is supposed to help us as Christians to pursue equality, to, to end uh, the, the different things where we, where we, where we pick favourites, where we, where we forget the poor, all these different things, the antidote is knowing and understanding and living out the gospel. Knowing and understanding and living out the gospel. Uh, so we're going to look at, we're going to look through it, and, and hopefully we're going to understand it a little bit more. What it, what is our approach? How do we approach it? And then give us some practical things as well. Uh, so verse one says, "My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism." That's our verse one. So it sets up. This is our thing. We are not to show favoritism. And if we look more closely at this passage, uh, so we, th- this is the only time where the Bible says our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Only time. And, and commentators kind of look at it and try and make sense of what is it doing there? Why, why is glory added to Jesus in this instance and nowhere else in the Bible? Now, if we look uh, to uh, the word favoritism, it's actually uh, what we call a euphemism. Um, and so if you actually to look at it literally, it says to accept a face. The, the idea of favoritism is to accept a face. So we, we look at some external characteristics of who someone is. So we look at, the, you know, are they good looking? Are they wealthy? Uh, what is the color of their skin? We look at these external characteristics and we make a judgment on who they are and accept them depending on whether that fits the values that we see fit. That is, that is what it's saying. And, and so it's saying, you over here are making judgments on the external characteristics and, and what someone has done or who they are. Uh, and then right next to our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Our glorious. And so glory represents splendor. It represents perfection. It represents how amazing God is compared to the comparisons that we make between one another. Now, when I was about eight, uh, my parents started giving us pocket money ex- in exchange for doing chores. And they decided that they were going to give us a dollar for however, like for each year older that we were. And so at eight, I got eight dollars. And I thought this is pretty amazing. Uh, the two things that I thought when I started receiving this pocket money was A, when I'm 100, I'm going to be loaded. Uh, because I'm going to get $100 a week and I'm going to be absolutely raking it in. I'm going to break the economy because of all this money that I'm earning. It's going to be amazing. $100 a week. Imagine that. Um, my parents are going to have to sell their organs in order to pay for it and all this kind of stuff. I was like, this is going to be amazing. $100, i am going to be in. in um, I'm going to be doing great. The other thing I thought was that my brother was a year younger than me and I was like, he's a chump. Like, I'm earning $8, he's earning 7 What an absolute idiot. He's there with his mere $7. I'm rolling in money with my $8. Uh, but when you look back at that, like, what's a dollar? What, what can a dollar buy you these days? Like, it's not that much. And, it, and for me, it was this huge comparison. I was like, wow, look at how poor my brother is. Look at how amazing I am. Where in the scheme of things, 7 and $8 is nothing. And when we look at each other and, and what might be seen as these amazing discrepancies that we see between each other and, and make judgments between each other, when we look at the glory of Jesus, it isn't even worth comparing. It is laughable for us to compare the differences that we might see fit in ourselves and, and show favoritism when we think of it in the scheme of, of Jesus. 
It's like me going to Bill Gates and being like, hey, my brother's a chump, he's getting $7, I'm getting 8 And he says, well, I earn $200 a second, so um, go figure, that's nothing to me, it's not even worth me picking it up on the ground if I saw it. It's not worth comparing the differences, and it is foolish and, and, and silly when you see it in comparison to the God that we worship. It is not worth comparing. And so the, the platforms and pedestals that we make for each other make no sense before Jesus. It makes no sense at all. And when we get to verses 2 and 4, uh, it says, Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring uh, and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here is a good seat for you, but to the poor man you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And so obviously, like, it's, it's easy for us to want to favour people who are going to advantage us. And we create pedestals and, and, and help lift up people who are, who are going to help us. And for the, the church in James, they're poor, they're struggling, and so giving a little bit of special treatment to a rich man might help them out a little bit. But James says, no, it's not how we work. Uh, I'll show you another photo on the screen. I think this is a really cool photo. Um, do you guys know who that is sitting down there? The great Kobe. That's Kobe Bryant sitting on the floor, uh, on the chair there. And then uh, we've got a, a rookie. Uh, his name is uh, Larry Nance Jr. I'm not sure if he's anyone important. But uh, so he's sitting on the floor there. Uh, what's really interesting about this photo is, is this is a game uh, around two, 2014 and Kobe Bryant is injured. So Kobe Bryant, one of the greatest basketballers of all time. Uh, we can argue about where he sits in the ladder later on. But he's sitting there, and then right next to him, sitting on the floor, is one of the players who's playing the game. This guy's waiting to be... He played like 21 minutes this game. He's sitting on the floor waiting to be subbed into the game. And what happened is Kobe was injured. He rocked up to the game late, saw this guy sitting on the bench and says, you there, sit on the floor, I'm going to take a seat. And the news media kind of picked this up and be like, what the heck's going on? Like, how, like, how is it that this guy just commands him to just go sit on the floor? He's like, yep, no worries. After the game, they ask Larry Nance Jr. He's like, you know, how do you feel about Kobe making you sit on the ground? And, and he didn't even bat an eyelid. He's like, yeah, it's fine. Like, it's Kobe. Not a problem. He, Kobe's up here. I'm down here. Not a problem. This is how things work. And, and I figure this is like a, a nothing, no news story fits this Bible verse, and there's someone who is, who is young to the game of basketball, sitting down on the floor because the, the person who is the basketball great, the, the father of, of their basketball team, just takes a seat and sits there while the other guy sits on the floor next to him. And, and for basketball, there's these, these classes and different things, and, and there's ways that, that basketball works that I don't understand, but for some reason, Kobe just gets to come in, sit on the chair, and make some young guy sit on the floor before he gets subbed into the game. But that is not how Christianity works. That is not how the gospel works because we are all equal. We are all equal before God. And platforms and pedestals misses the point of the gospel. And the reason that we're all equal is because there is nothing that we do that earns us anything in the scheme of the gospel. 
See, there's no people that have, that have made their name great before God, like Kobe has made his name great before basketball. No one has done anything to elevate themselves or get them close, go, closer to God, but we are all broken, morally corrupt sinners that are in need of a saviour. We're all equal because we're all at the bottom. That is how the gospel works. There's no, you sit on that chair because you've earned something. There's no, you sit on the floor because you haven't earned something. Everyone sitting next to you is equally worthy of sitting here today. There's no one that's done anything good or, or any kind of study or, or earn any kind of position that makes them more worthy of sitting here because we're all equally unworthy of sitting here. That is the, go- that is the first step of the gospel. And so it doesn't matter if you're up here preaching, it doesn't matter if you've made your way to some sort of high level within the church, you are still equally unworthy of sitting here today. Because the story of the gospel is that we are unworthy and that we are all sinners. And so when we start to elevate ourselves, when we start to put ourselves on a, on a, pedestal, on a, on a platform, we put someone else on a pedestal, it misses the point of the gospel because it misses the first point where we are unworthy. And there is nothing that we can do that can make us step up and be like, look at what a good person I am. Look at how I did in Sunday school. Look at the, the job that I have at this church. Look at the things that I'm doing because we are unworthy. We are completely unworthy regardless of what we've done. And so, if, if you're sitting there and thinking, like, I, I don't deserve to be here, it's like, yeah, so does everyone else. So does everyone else. We are all unworthy of being here. And this brings us uh, to our next part uh, in verses 5 to 7. And this is what it says. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised, those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are, who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? And, and, and this is a, a really strange one to wrap your head around because he, he's almost saying, like, does God favour the poor? Is, is it easier for, for a poor person to, to have faith? And the answer is yes, it is. Is easier for a per- poor person to come to faith. Because to get to that first step where we say, I'm broken and I am unable to help myself and I need a saviour, that is hard when we have a lot of stuff going for us. When we've done a lot of good things in our life and we've worked really hard, when we've managed to generate a good job and good money and all these stuff that we've earned, it's hard to say that it's actually worth nothing towards our faith. It is really hard to see that all that you've worked for, all the good things that you've done, are worth just as much as a person that has done absolutely nothing. It's hard for us to get off those platforms so that we can understand the gospel. And so platforms and pedestals, they're a barrier to the gospel because they, they get in the way. They stop us from seeing the, the fact that we need Jesus because we're up here feeling like we've already got ourselves partway there. And it misses the, the point of, of the gospel. And so that is why for a poor person it is easier because they've got no platform to get off. If you say, you've got nothing, they're like, yeah, tell me about it. 
You say, like, you've made some bad choices and you really need someone to come in and help you. He's like, yes. Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me about what, it, like, I know where I am. I know I'm at the bottom. If you know that you're at the bottom, it is easy to get there because you're already there. And so for a poor person to hear that you are broken and you are unable to help yourself and you need Jesus, like, they, they just hear, I need Jesus. It's already there. And so when Jesus comes and we hear the gospel and say, hey, like Jesus came and saved you, they're not saying, what from? Because I'm already pretty good. They're saying, thank goodness. Thank God that he has sent a savior because I need one. And so if we look at, uh, if we just look at statistics, so Western world, we look at uh, like how's Christianity going in North America, Europe, uh, Australia, it's not really keeping up with population growth. Like, Christians are declined, like, we're not even breeding fast enough to keep up with our Christianity numbers. That's where we're at. If you go to Asia, Africa, and especially in a lot of those poor areas, like, they doubled in the last 20 years. We can't keep up with our population growth. They doubled. Because people come in, they tell them that, that someone is there to save them and care for them and they're like, yes, let's do this. We need a saviour and it's because when we're on this platform, when, we're, when people are on that pedestal, it is hard to see the gospel. It is hard to see the need for Jesus and so we need to get off our platforms and pedestals. Because it is a barrier to us to see Jesus. When we get to verses 8 to 11, it says, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not, murder, uh, shall not commit adultery said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. When we put ourselves on platforms and look down on people around us, we break the law. And, and the, the funny thing with, with sin is that different sins have different consequences, right? If you murder, the consequences are different to if you lie about how old you are. Or, you know, if you're like, oh, I'm, I'm nine years old, I'm older than you, you know, like I'm going to get more pocket money. It's not the same. The consequences are less. If you commit adultery, the consequences are different. If you gossip, you know, the consequences are going to be different. But it's still sin. So you still break the law. The hard thing about the sin of putting ourselves on platforms and putting people on pedestals is that often it actually is an advantage to us. So the consequences of murder is like, you're going to go to jail. Like, it's a bad consequence. But sadly... Like, it's almost like we, we put ourselves on platforms because sometimes, like, often it helps us. If you don't give money to the poor, you're going to be richer. That's the reality. Like, it's, 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 it advantages you. There are no consequences against you here on earth if you fail to look after people who are needy. Like, you're going to be better off. That's the reality. But the thing is, you still break the law. And platforms and pedestals are an offense to God. You may not experience the consequences 
in the same way that if you murder someone, but you have still rejected God and, and dishonored God when you create platforms, when we show favoritism, when we discriminate against people around us. It is a sin, it is an offense to God, and it is not a little sin, it is a sin like every other sin. And so platforms and pedestals are an offense to God. The law is broken and we reject our God. We reject the purposes that he has for us and the way that he intends for us to live. We, we reject the people that God has created and loves and cares deeply about and we reject the creation that he has built for us to live in. When we, when we get to verses 12 and 13, uh, it says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Our command is to break down these platforms and these pedestals that we make. Our command is to step off and say, I am a broken sinner, I deserve nothing, I need Jesus and he has been merciful. Because Jesus died on the cross for my sins, I am able to have a relationship with God. I haven't done anything to earn it, I am equal with everyone as a broken person in need of a saviour. That is where I'm at. I haven't done anything to earn it, my Sunday school results did not get me any better. My good job has not earned me anything. My morality and everything that I've done has not earned me anything, but I am on a level playing field with everyone else. Regardless of where they're from, regardless of what they've done, regardless of, of, of what backstory they have, it's a level playing field. And so we step off these platforms. We stop putting people on these pedestals. When, when we talk about mercy... In the Bible, um, often uh, you see in uh, the story of Jesus, people will come up to Jesus and say, Lord, have mercy on me. That's what they say. Lord, have mercy on me. And, and mercy uh, quite often means help me in something that I'm unable to fix myself. So when they're saying they're coming and they need healing, they're saying have mercy on me because I'm unable to help myself out of this mess. That is what he's saying. And when we come to the gospel, we were unable to get out of that mess. We were broken. We needed Jesus. Jesus came in. He showed us mercy. mercy. He helped us out of something that we were unable to achieve. And so God calls us to have mercy in the same way that God had mercy for us. There are people who are victims of huge injustices. There are people that are unable to feed themselves and their family, no matter what happens. There, there are people that, that is easier to forget about, and there, there's people that are, that are easier to kind of uh, just push away a little bit more so that we can make lives a little bit easy for ourselves. We are called to have mercy and to break down these platforms and pedestals that we put ourselves on to help those who are unable to help themselves, to not show favoritism as if we've earned something a little bit more based on where we were born, based on what we look like, based on how much we earn, whatever it is. We show mercy and we don't stand on a platform because 
we have the gospel. And so I want to give you guys a few uh, little things just to think about as we, as we reflect on this idea that we are poor, that we did need mercy and Jesus came and saved us and we are commanded to go and do the same. The first thing is that Christianity broadly, we haven't done super well on the forefront of social issues. There are certain things that we've done really well. There are certain things that we have done quite poorly. And for a lot of young people, uh, the church is not the place they, even if they are a Christian, the place that they search to be to do social issue stuff, to, to help people in, in, in racial injustice or people who are marginalised or whatever. The church is not at the forefront of that. We, we haven't been the best. And so as Christians who are shaped by this narrative, that are shaped by what has been done for us, we need to be good at that. We need to be good at those issues. People need to look at us and say, man, like we can learn from the church and how they deal with these issues. When we deal with issues of, of injustice and inequality, like we need to be at the forefront of that. And so think about how can we do that better? How can, how can the young people in our church who, who care about those issues think, like, I wouldn't go outside of the church to, to solve these issues. I need to be here because this is where it's best. Because if it's shaped us like that, we should be good at that. And so I want to encourage you, like, find ways that we can be good at these issues, at inequality. We want to be good at that stuff. The, the second thing is that we're like, we need to help the poor. Like, that is who we were, and that is what we are called to do. We need to help the poor, and so we need to humble ourselves and realise that everything that we have is not something that we, like, it's not what we've earned. Like, if you, if you were born in Australia, like, it's a pretty big head start. What a ticket. There's people that weren't born in Australia, and there's people who, who were born in places where they will never be able to take a day off in their life because every day is the day they buy food for their family for that night, if they can afford it. There's people who will starve to death because of where they were born, where they are, their social situation, whatever it is. And we have been shown a massive amount of mercy and grace being in the position that we're in. And so we need to humble ourselves, speak and act for those who are unable to help themselves, to have mercy for people who are unable to help themselves in the situations they are in. That is who we've been called to be and what we've been called to do. The last two are two really tricky questions. Um, and this, these two you need to think about properly. You can't just kind of think that's a nice question. I think I've got some answers. You need to think about this one. So first one is what platforms are you on? And this is a hard one because you're probably not going to see that straight away. Because quite often, just like Martin Luther, who, who did amazing things for so many people and, and did so much for equality and justice and helping people and seeing, helping people see the gospel, still had some huge blind spots that were horrible. And, and we are going to have blind spots and we need to figure out what they are because we want to be shaped by the gospel and, and we want to be people who are all about equality, uh, see where we have inequality and, and help to level that playing field 
and love our brothers and sisters in Christ no matter who they are, no matter where they are. So what platforms are you on? What are the areas that, that you feel like you're on a platform looking down on, on someone else or a group of people or whatever it is? What platforms are you on? The second one is who needs your mercy? Who are the, who are the people in, in your life who are... Or, who are the people beyond your borders, wherever it may be, that need your mercy? Who are the people that are unable to help themselves? Who are the people that are in poverty? Who are the people that are in slavery? Who are the people that are victims of injustice that are unable to help themselves that can benefit from your mercy and the, the richness and, and the wealth of resources that you have? Who needs your mercy? And that's a lot of really tricky things to take in. And if you're feeling not so good about yourselves, uh, I want to encourage you that like, we have the gospel. We will fall short, but we have Jesus. We have Jesus. We, we will do the wrong thing. We will not do enough and we will be selfish and we'll do all these things and we will continue to fall over again and again. But we have Jesus. Jesus died for us. And so while we want to mimic him, we act under the grace of God that has been shown for us through Jesus. I'm going to pray. The worship team are going to come up. Uh, we're going to sing one more final song. Father, we, we thank you that you're a good and merciful God. We thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for us. And, and we thank you that, that we can have a relationship with you even though we don't deserve it. Help us to see that we are unworthy yet receivers of something so miraculous and, and help us to step off these platforms that we often put ourselves on and help us to, to love uh, and show equality and fairness to the people around us. Help us to love our brothers and sisters who are different from us. Help us to work together. Help us to, to, to see the injustices that are going on around us. Help us to show mercy for the poor. Help us to, to release the things that we hold on to that give us an advantage in life, but to show mercy and justice and equality to those around us because we know your gospel. We know that we were broken, but you came in and saved us despite our inability to do that. So thank you, Lord, and help us, convict us, and teach us. In your name we pray. Amen.